Welcome to Sit in Your Cell, Wisdom from the Wilderness for Those Walking in the World. On this episode, we will examine the foundations of monasticism and the ascetic vision within Christianity. We will see how the struggle for virtue and holiness is part of what it means to know God, and how monasticism arose out of a desire to unite every aspect of human life toward Christ. If we are going to understand the Christian vision of asceticism, it's vital that we begin with an examination of where this vision has been most readily accepted and implemented in the great tradition of Christian monasticism. The next two episodes will give a brief look at the origins of monasticism, its early development, and the three major figures that shaped this vision of monastic and ascetic spirituality. As a side note, this will just be an overview. I draw my insights from a number of sources, some of which I'll refer to by name throughout each episode, but many that I will not. For further reading on the history of monasticism, I recommend The Desert, a City by Father Daros Chitty, Syriac in the Origins of Monasticism by Dom Alred Baker, and In the Heart of the Desert by Father John Chrysokis. It is widely believed that Christian monasticism arose in response to the conversion of Roman Emperor Constantine, 272-337, and the rising imperial favor toward the church in the 4th and 5th centuries. With the days of martyrdom behind them, Christians began to be dissatisfied with what they saw as a lower standard within the church. So they went out into the desert to seek a more committed and rigorous spirituality, far away from the corruption of the secular imperial church. While this is the story often told about the origins of monasticism, it is almost entirely false. While monasticism eventually came to be seen as a means of escaping the corruption and decadence of the city for a life solely focused on God, the idea that it arose in response to imperial Christianity and the conversion of Constantine is simply not true. This is proven by the fact that the three great founders of monasticism, Anthony the Great, Jacob of Nisibis, and Pacomius the Great, all began their monastic careers long before Constantine's vision and his victory at the Milvian Bridge. Moreover, each of these great saints stressed how they were following the traditions of others engaged in ascetic living at the time, and this reveals how the roots of asceticism and monasticism run deep in Christianity, all the way back into the Old Testament, and express further in the life of the early church. The various legal and ritual laws throughout the Old Testament reveal a religious practice steeped in self-control and moderation. The essential character of the Israelites was to be one of discipline and obedience to God in every aspect of life, and this led to the rise of a number of ascetic groups and figures. The Nazarites undertook strict forms of living in order to set themselves apart for holiness and obedience to the Lord. The prophets of Israel often wandered about, carrying their message from God in the strict manner in which they lived. By the start of the first century, numerous ascetic groups, such as the Essenes, flourished in Judea, and the merits of the ascetic life were hotly debated by the Pharisees. In the Gospels, John the Baptist, also known as John the Forerunner, is presented as an essentially monastic figure, living in the wilderness and proclaiming the coming of the Lord by both his words and his actions. 
The Gospels present Jesus in a similar manner to these ascetics, a wandering teacher whose very manner of life was a revelation of the message of God. In addition to proclaiming the kingdom of God, Jesus also taught on the way in which its citizens should live. Father George Florovsky notes how the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7, through and in particular the Beatitudes, Matthew 5-3-12, are an essentially ascetic teaching. Jesus outlines the way of life oriented toward holiness and discipline, not merely in outward expressions, but in inward motivations. But, as Florovsky explains, these instructions are more than just rhetorical statements. They are the very commands of the Lord. The true citizen of the kingdom of God strives to combine both the outward life of discipline with inward piety and holiness. For the Christian, rebirth into Christ is stepping into a new manner of living, a new life where all faculties and motivations are oriented toward God. The Christian strives toward perfection, not in the sense of arbitrary rules or standards, but to become like the Lord Jesus Christ, the true human being. From this desire to unite all aspects of life to Christ, to be guided by the Holy Spirit, and to attain the perfection of true and renewed humanity, early Christians strove toward asceticism. The faithful willingly gave up possessions to help others, taking on a more simplistic life for the sake of charity. The church prized fasting and almsgiving as essential aspects of holiness. The command to pray without ceasing became a cornerstone of Christian worship. Chastity, temperance, and moderation became well-known attributes of Christians that set them apart from other religious and philosophical traditions of the day. As the church grew into the second and third centuries, she continued to stress the essential command to deny oneself, take up the cross of struggle for holiness, and to follow after the Lord, even to death. As persecutions flared up occasionally across the empire and Christians were asked to abandon their faith, the ultimate act of asceticism became to die for Christ. Throughout the second century, the Roman Empire maintained a policy of ignorance toward Christians. As long as they did not cause disruptions in Roman society, they were allowed to carry on with their worship. Most of the persecutions in this period were local, originating from a particular incident and not some large-scale ban on Christianity. But in the third century, the empire began to take a more antagonistic tone toward religious dissidents, persecuting any group that did not worship the emperor and the gods of Rome. In the year 250, the Emperor Decius issued the first empire-wide persecution of Christians. It is estimated that between three and 4,000 Christians were killed over a period of about a year and a half. Many more were tortured in this time, and this event cemented martyrdom in the minds of Christians. The ultimate form of obedience to Christ was seen as joining him in his unjust execution, sharing in his sufferings, and not even holding on to one's own life, but giving it freely as a witness to faith. One year after the Decian persecution subsided, a young man was born in the city of Alexandria in Egypt. He grew up hearing the stories of martyrdom from those who had survived and was inspired by their level of dedication to God. He desired to take this concept of martyrdom and expand it to the living, to give one's life to share in the sufferings of Christ did not mean that one must physically die, but simply die to the world. And so, the young man Anthony went out into the desert, 
not to escape slack faith or an indifferent church, but to fully dedicate himself to the task of knowing God and struggling toward perfection in Christ.